Good morning, everybody. This is Daycastron Adventures' podcast with Heather and Ute, the show for women who love horses, travel, and adventure. My name is Ute, and I'm happy to welcome you to another exciting episode. One word before we start. If you like this show, please give us a rating or review on your podcast player, as this will help in keeping this podcast up and running. Also tell your friends about it, so more like-minded women can find us and start listening. Thank you. And today we have a super interesting topic for you, like every week basically on this podcast. Um, but it's a topic very close to my heart. And um, in order to introduce it to you, I have to tell you that I came across um, a girl last year. Um, her name is Emily. She is a student in Germany and she started a small movement called Riders for Future. Now, you probably all have heard about Fridays for Future, um, a movement started by Greta Thunberg uh, from Sweden. And this movement really has evolved, has snowballed into something globally, something international. There's so many groups now called by the same name, so many students, so many young people, so many older people as well going out to protest, to uh, try to get their voices heard. Um, their concerns about climate change, about global warming voiced. And this is something which also has inspired Emily, of course, and she decided that she wanted to do something in the sports and the hobby she enjoys doing, horse riding. And of course, she realized that horse riding is not exactly um, a sport which does not cause any greenhouse gas emissions. I mean, horses are big animals. They need a lot of land. They need food. They need fodder. They need a place to be. Um, people or horse riders go to clinics. They go to competitions. They drive the horses around. They buy a lot of stuff. Um, it's usually a hobby which is very time-consuming, very uh, expensive in some uh, places uh, to do. So, um, yeah, so Emily was thinking of some ways how to... Um, um, make the whole sports, make a hobby a bit more environmental friendly. Uh, what she can do, what you can do, what we can do together in order, yeah, in, in order to make this world a little bit of a better place. So I found that very commendable. I really would have loved to have an interview with uh, Emily, but she actually is a bit afraid of, of talking to me in English. So today I just want to take up some of her ideas and yeah, just kind of broadcast them out into the world, um, give you something maybe to think about, something we can all do, because by the end of the day, of course, it's the government, it's the politicians which have to act, which have to, you know, create laws. But all this is just one side. But what really is important is that we all uh, you know, you, me, everyone out there, you know, every small, small person, um, that we also look at the way we do things and think about the way we do things and then maybe think, how can we do things better in future? How can we uh, lessen our um, uh, our eco ecological footprint, perhaps, and uh, the footprint of or the hoofprint of our horses. So, um, yeah, it's it's a super interesting topic, and yeah, I can't wait to start. We are explorers. We are trailblazers. We love to do what cannot be done. We love to test our limits, cross borders, and we love the freedom horses bring us. We seek lands without fences. Who are we? We are equestrian adventuresses. We are a community of women who love horses, travel, and adventure. 
to infinity and beyond. And now your hosts, Uta and Heather. Today's episode is sponsored by Chisholm Trail Rides, horseback riding near Dallas, Texas. If you're looking for great trail riding opportunity near Dallas, Texas, Chisholm Trail Rides is what you're looking for. They offer a personalized horse riding experience for beginners and advanced riders. Their motto is, if the horse isn't good enough for our loved ones, it isn't good enough for yours. They offer trail rides through the countryside for adults and children above the age of five, and English and Western riding lessons for those who want to learn horse riding properly. The trail rides are not the follow-the-leader type. Instead, you'll be able to ride side-by-side or next to each other in a loose, natural group. Each ride begins with an instructional warm-up inside the arena where beginners can learn the basics and advanced riders can familiarize themselves with their horse. The guides will take their time to make sure everyone is comfortable before heading out on trail. Safety is definitely their first priority and a must for each on each ride. Young children will be ponied along by the guides on trail to make sure they are safe and comfortable. Chisholm Trail Rides offer group semi-private and private trail rides as well as horse riding lessons. Six or 12-hour packages are also available if you want to join their rides or take lessons on a regular basis. Chisholm Trail Rides offer safe, unique and fun trail rides in an interesting and varied terrain and professional horse riding lessons that teach you all you need to know about horses, no matter your experience or age. To book your unique horse riding experience now, visit the website www.chishomtrailrides.com. As usual, you can find the link to the website and all information about them in our show notes. Just click on the link in your podcast player window and you'll get there. <laughs> and here we are back again talking about the ecological footprint of our horses. And uh, yeah, of course, that's a big, big topic. Climate change has been so much all over the news, really dominating local, national, international headlines again and again, even though, of course, now with the conflict in the Ukraine, um, it has somehow uh, faded a little bit into the background. However, it's a big, small, it's a big word. And there's actually a lot of smaller and well bigger events and happenings which are associated with climate change. I mean, if you look at um, all the natural disasters um, during in many places of the of the planet, really um, stronger and more hurricanes, uh, more drought in some of the really dry and arid places on this earth, um, increasing temperatures, particularly in the polar regions threatening polar bears and local species, um, threatening even people. Like, for instance, if you look at uh, Lapland, at the northern Swedish, Norwegian and Finnish uh, borderlands, where there's a lot of people um, doing reindeer husbandry and the animals are dying because uh, the snow is often frozen now in winter because it kind of melts and freezes and then the animals don't get any more food. And so on, there's so many different... Um, yeah, events associated with climate change. So that I really want to talk with you about this a little bit because we always say, well, climate change is something the politicians and the big government need to take care of it. Uh, but how? What can I, as a single person, do? And uh, in fact, we can do um, well a lot, or actually, we can do our little bit um, that we might be able to um, maybe not reduce it 
me personally as a single person, but to just contribute to a greater effort of many, many, many people around the world. And a lot of people have started realizing that each of us can do something. And uh, yeah, Emily is just one example of a young girl who is seriously worried about um, about where Earth is heading, really. And I mean, um, well, I'm middle-aged, let's say it that way. I'll probably not live that long that I will really feel the dire consequences. But give it another two, three hundred years if you continue living the way we are living right now. And Earth will not be the place we know it. Uh, at the moment, Earth will be a much less hospital place than it is now. And it might be a lot more difficult for people to live in different places. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, of course, we all know that animals produce a lot of greenhouse gases, right? Particularly, of course, cows produce uh, methane, um, but also horses produce uh, some greenhouse gases. We produce a lot of greenhouse gases, mostly um carbon dioxide, of course, which is actually the major greenhouse gas because it's so common. Whenever we burn any type of uh, fossil fuel, we release a lot of it into the atmosphere. Now let's look a little bit at our animals. I mean, of course, um, we all know that human beings influence their environment. Uh, we influence our environment, right? And our climate by our lifestyle, by building big urban centers, by burning fossil fuels, and also by keeping animals for food and for company. So animals um, are a big producer, but so far not a lot of people have actually looked at the role horses particularly play. Now, if you look there, there's been quite an interesting publication. It's called Time to Eat the Dog. It was published in 2009 by Brenda and Robert Vale from New Zealand, who looked into the matter of carbon emission, emissions by our favorite pets. And they were the first ones to really put a kind of number tags on our animals, saying how much emissions they really produce. I mean, not directly, but directly and indirectly. And then we have another study from Switzerland um, that's a small company and they actually put serious numbers on uh, on horse, dog and other animal keeping. And uh, in order to give you some ideas about what they are talking and what uh, they found out. Um, so this study actually wanted to have found out that keeping a horse for one year equals driving more than 21,500 kilometers with a car. Now, the average person drives around 13,000 kilometers, at least in Europe, per year. So that's almost double, right? So that's what they say a horse uh, costs or that's what a horse emits in greenhouse gases. It's, it equals this distance, this long 21,500 kilometers drive of the car. Keeping a dog, by the way, only equals 3,700 kilometers and a, car, a cat only uh, 1400 kilometers. Um, now, of course, these numbers are a little bit problematic. Um, and they have to be taken with a grain of salt because such comparisons are always difficult. And branding all horses as climate killers is definitely exaggerated, as there are many differences in horse keeping and feeding. But um, these numbers are there, they are out in the world, and I think it's important that we look at them, that we're thinking about them, and that we come to realize that horse keeping contributes to climate change in 
one way. But we will also see today in today's episode that horses can also actually have a good effect on climate change as well, that they can actually be something called uh, carbon sequesters. So um, yeah, so let's let's just first look at this number. Um, what are the bad effects of horse keeping? Now, we all know that horses are big animals, that they need a lot of food compared to a cat or a dog. They are mostly stabled, they need bedding, they produce manure. And of course, horse owners, they ride their horses, they often drive their horses to clinics, lessons or competitions, sometimes every weekend during the season, or even to far off places to go for a trail ride or to go for a clinic, for a whatever, right? So all this, of course, contributes to climate change, to um, emissions of carbon dioxide, for instance, because, I mean, horse food, then there is uh, the bedding, the menu, which needs to be taken care about, um, the driving to and fro. Um, usually a lot of horse owners don't have the horses directly at the house or at the home, but they have them stabled elsewhere, so they have to drive there with a car. Then, of course, there's the horse industry, which tells us we need a, we need a lot of equipment and expensive feeds or supplements. So, um, yeah. Uh, basically, let's have a look at all of these points. The biggest factor in the ecological foot or hoofprint of the horses are feed, right? Now, I have done a little research from, um, and I got the data from Rutgers University. Um, each horse basically needs 4.6 tons of dry feed per year, which needs to be grown, transported, and processed. So a thousand uh, pounds horse will produce about 9.1 tons of manure a year, plus around 2.7 tons of bedding when stabled. So this bedding also contributes, of course, to the manure and which needs to be, which basically contribute, uh, contributes to waste. So this, both the manure and the, the bedding will actually produce 11.8 tons of waste every year. And horse manure contains uh, a lot of stuff which isn't very good for the climate. It contains uh, nitrogen, phosphorus, carbon. Um, so all this can impact the environment in a negative way and it can also contribute to climate change. However, um, now of course we need to say horse waste can be a valuable resource on a farm when managed properly, as it's a good source of nutrients for crop production and can serve as fuel for biogas plant, right? So there's always two sides to it, right? On the one hand, it's of course manure, it's waste in a way, but it can be also used as a valuable resource. Now, if the horses are stabled, the stable needs electricity, Sometimes it needs heating or cooling, depends where it is, of course. And then, as I mentioned, the riders need to go there, get there from the home or place of work, and most of them will go there by car. Then, as I mentioned, they will take their horses and trailers, trailering them to uh, different competitions. And, well, in order to, you know, pull a trailer, they might buy a bigger car with a stronger engine, eating more fossil fuel most of the time, right? I've seen very few people pulling uh, a horse trailer with an electric car. I don't think there is electric cars which are strong enough to do that. And if they are, they'll need a lot of electricity as well. And then the horse industry, they make a lot of money by selling so much equipment associated with horses, right? How many riders buy, you know, horse pads in different colors every year? They buy new riding clothes and breeches very regularly, right? All the latest accessories are gadgets just because 
uh, the industry tells you you need that when you have a horse. So they spend a lot of money on their hobby, which is, of course, fine. I mean, any hobby will cost you money and horses do cost a lot of money. But sometimes it's really worthwhile to say, stop, let's just think, do I need another saddle pad? I already have like five or 10 at home. Do I need another one just to have a new color or just because some some advertising or friend says, oh, this is so great, you have to try it out. So the problem really is if we buy a lot of new things and I mean, the horse industry has grown a lot during the last 50 years and they want to keep doing so, of course. So every item we buy, every new article means that something was produced somewhere, transported. Most of the time it's produced in China or elsewhere. It's not really produced right in our local community. And it's transported all the way from China to come into the store next to you. And, you know, when we finish using it, it will just add to the huge pile of waste we keep producing every year. Now, I gave a lot of negative things right now. And, of course, this number of 21,500-kilometer drive, uh, which equals to the housekeeping of a year, still stings. I was quite shocked by it, uh, seriously. But, of course, it's not really that bad. That's one side of the coin, and we can find another one as well, like always. So what we always should keep in mind, housekeeping can be different in many ways. It makes a big difference if we stable our horses all year round or if we keep them outdoors much, most of the time. Do we properly utilize the manure our horse produce or don't we do it, right? Do we see it as waste, which we have to, you know, put somewhere out of our, you know, eyes, out of the mind? Or do we really use it uh, where it can be used on a farm, for instance, to fertilize fields and stuff and, you know, help us saving fertilizers another way? Um... And one more thing I really, I, I already hinted it at. Horses, like all large grazing animals, um, cows as well actually, help in creating a healthy soil and keeping grassland open, right? So they're often used to recreate traditional landscapes uh, where a wide range of plants, birds and animals can coexist, right? So if we have landscapes, we have uh, plenty of open grass, land, steppes, really savannas, they're called in some parts of this world. And all these places wouldn't really exist if we didn't have big grazing animals. So there's projects around the world, such as the Siberian Tundra Restoration Project in Russia or the Natural Re Reserve Pannonia in uh, eastern Austria. And they all use horses in order to restore an old ecosystem which needs heavy grazers because only with these heavy grazers they can keep the landscape fairly open otherwise bushes would come in and uh, eventually trees so the horse is actually considered an ideal restorer of degraded or even poisoned ecosystems and uh, can help combat global warming through carbon sequestration now how does that work Carbon sec uh, sequestration basically means the storage of, of carbon. So that can, for instance, good carbon sequestrations are trees, but also grasses. So if we have big grasslands for horses, unlike fields, for instance, the grass is a plant which grows all year round and it stores a lot of carbon in its roots and its uh, body, basically. And if we have these plants and we have horses grazing on them, then the plant kind of gets destroyed a little bit, but it regrows. And every time it regrows, it kind of stores carbon inside. 
So host fields are perfect places where we can actually store carbon dioxide uh, through this carbon sequestration. So horses actually help us in keeping these grasslands and it's much better to have like a meadow for horses rather than fields where we grew our crops, which obviously we need as well. But any open soil will actually uh, emit carbon dioxide into the atmosphere um, because it's open, it's bare soil. And um, yeah, I mean, regular grazing also helps in combating wildfires, for instance, as horses remove a lot of dry grass, which could otherwise easily burn and form the basis of a large bushfire. Um, and of course, we need to understand that horses are better carbon sequesters than cows, sheep or other ruminants because of their uh, of the way they basically digest uh, food. Um, because horse poo basically decomposes much slower and releases very little greenhouse gas uh, into the environment uh, compared to cows, of course, or any other ruminant, because, of course, during the, the process of rumination, uh, a lot of um, methane is actually released into the atmosphere. And also they basically poop it uh, out. And um, well, so horses are better than cattle in yeah combating climate change. Yeah, so now we have heard about the good and the bad side of horses in nature in the face of climate change. But of course, uh, of course, we must also not forget horses kept for sports or pleasure are different from horses in the wild, right? Um, so now let's have a look about what we can do as horse or stable owners in order to minimize the ecological footprint of our of our house horses as much as possible. Um, I already mentioned two of the big things uh, which kind of really pushes our horses uh well, greenhouse gas or ecological footprint into the negative is the fodder and feed and uh, the menu or basically the waste, the uh, the bedding in this case. Um, yeah, so let's have a look. We have a big horse stable where we keep our horses stabled. Uh, what, what, what can we do? So one of the big thing really is, I mean, most of the time we take over a farm or we have a farm, we don't really necessarily build it new. However, if we add buildings, we should always use ecological building materials and uh, yeah, and try to reduce emissions as much as possible. Um, for instance, a really, really big thing in Germany with uh, farmsteads is solar power. Um, particularly in southern Germany, we have big farmsteads and they have huge roofs of their houses, of their barns, and they're putting solar cells on top of them. And so they produce their own power. Um, very often they become almost self-reliant on power because they produce so much. And nowadays we have good battery storing capacities so they can store some of this power as well for the night or for days when there's less sun. Now, obviously, solar power might not be ideally uh, suited in countries such as Germany or England, or even in some parts of the United States where there's not that much sunshine. But with our really latest technology, these solar cells produce electricity even when there's no direct sunlight. So they're really, really good nowadays. And uh, of course, they would be ideal in countries such as India, uh, in, in parts of the southern uh, USA where you really have a lot of sunshine. Uh, in southern France and southern Europe, um, people could harvest a lot of energy just with solar power. So I always say, like, if you 
can, if you have the money to invest in, in a solar energy plant um, for your house, for your barn, um, you know, try to get it done because it can really save you a lot of electricity. You can generate a lot of electricity and this is really clean electricity um, which kind of is produced without any type of emission. Obviously, the solar cells themselves, they have to be produced um, they need some rare materials as well. So again, it's advisable to go to latest technology for cells, which can still last a long time, rather than just maybe for the next five years and need to be replaced eventually. Another big thing I always kind of look at is, of course, the collection and the use of rainwater rather than groundwater. Um, it's so great if you have um, your own well or your own cistern, basically. Well is one thing because it's groundwater, but I actually wanted to say it's great to have your own water cistern, a kind of water storage where you can store your rainwater. So you can harvest rainwater from your roofs uh, and then really uh, make sure that it goes into this under, under uh, underground storage or even uh, above ground storage, right? Um, so if possible, you know, if you can can recycle this great, this rainwater, you can use it in so many ways. Most of the time it's very clean water. It might not always be drinkable, but you can use it for so many other things because we need a lot of water in our farms, let's face it. We need to water gardens. We need to put water in the water troughs for the horses. We, uh, we use the water holes to hose down our horses. We might need water to, to moisten the, the hay um, that there is no dust. We might need to um, use water to sprinkle our riding arenas that it's not so dusty. Um, we have to wash horses. We have to, of course, uh, you know, use water in so many different ways. And if you can uh, recycle our used water or the rainwater, um, it's, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful way of really saving water. Of course, there's also many ways of saving our water as well. You know, um, rather than using the hose every time, uh, sometimes just use buckets for washing, right? Buckets and a sponge. Of course, we all love using the hose. I myself love using the hose, but when I hose down my hoses, I usually do it in the garden so that the water from the hose goes into the lawn and to the plants and kind of has at least a double use. Or what you can do, of course, recycle the water, you know, by means of a drain, make sure this water, which is just used to hose down the horses, is recycled and then used for, you know, watering plants or, you know, whatever. There's just so many ways we need water. Uh, Self-closing taps is also a very efficient way of uh, saving some water. Make sure that uh, all your taps work well, that there's no dripping of water because uh, a lot of water is actually lost by all this, you know, dripping taps. And it's funny, if I go into a stable, very often I find at least one tap which is dripping. It happens quite frequently. Um, safe electricity, right? Big, big thing. Every one of us can actually save electricity by using light energy, uh, by using energy efficient light bulbs, for instance. Um, they are a little bit more expensive, but they're usually very long lasting and they use up, they use a lot less electricity than normal uh, bulbs. Uh, solar powered lights are wonderful. It's a wonderful, wonderful invention nowadays. Um, 
particularly if you if you don't need the light so frequently or if you want to have a light which kind of uh, you know shines all night um, and then motion sensors where possible right so when you enter a stable the light automatically goes on if you leave it or if there's no motion if there's no uh, movement for like five or ten minutes the light automatically will go off um, this is a wonderful way uh, of really making sure that all there's no light no additional light you don't need running uh, all over the night yeah so this is um, yeah and then of course invest in a good isolation of your buildings, which will help you save energy and money in the long run, particularly if it's a cold country and you need to heat it, or if it's a hot country, you need to cool it, right? A good isolation comes a long way in keeping the room climate without too much of, of energy um, to keep it either cool or warm, whatever you need. Another thing I have um, really started uh, with my horses is I switched to sustainable targeted warming uh, based on test results rather than fixed schedules. I used to always, um, you know, have the warming scheduled for my horses every three months, you know, get the stiff warmer, then get the next one, then get a third one and really work on fixed schedules. Um, this targeted warming is really um, it works by collecting samples of all the horses every, it depends a little bit, most of the time every six months, and then sending them to a laboratory to test them for warmth. When the result come back, you can deworm according to the results rather than just sticking to a schedule, uh, which basically assumes that your horses need to be dewormed. But very often I realize that's the case, they don't really need to be dewormed, right? So you can have a warm count um, to see what is there and what is not there. And most of the time, or I realize that uh, I, de I dewormed um, too much actually. Yeah, then um, if you are building new um I already mentioned use natural materials. It comes a long way in improving um, the climate. It's it's better for the environment. Use local products as well rather than importing cement or whatever you want from a far off area. What's also important is try to limit the ceiling of large areas. Of course, infrastructure such as building access roads, parking spaces, etc., are necessary for any type of big farm. But there are ways to keep the land open so that rain can sweep in the ground more easily, which is important during heavy storms because again and again there's areas which are prone uh, for floods or flooding. And if you really seal off most of the open uh, area, um, you can actually, um, you know, you can actually, this actually makes things worse. You know, the water cannot disperse quickly. It cannot sweep into the underground as quickly as when there's more uh, sweepage area. Um, build a water harvesting storage so you can catch the water from the roofs on your buildings and also from large places such as, you know, parkings or, you know, roads um, so that the, the, the water can be stored in underground or even in, you know, uh, in underground tanks or in water tons and barrels. So for instance, um, we usually have, um, from the stable roofs, we have, um, we have a pipe. So channeling the water into big drums or barrels. And I use this water to water my garden. Um, but I can also use it to wash my horses very often. Or if I, if I just need some water, the water usually is fairly clean. I mean, of course it depends. You have to check it out. If you roof is extremely dirty and rusty and muddy, then of course, you know, the water you store, which runs over, it might have particles or minerals inside, which you don't want. But even though you can usually use it for watering the garden. 
Um, or flushing toilets, for instance, also quite. Uh, you don't need to have super clean water to do that. I already mentioned natural building materials. Um, you know, wood is an amazing, amazing material. Try to build rather high, um, you know, in, in, instead of wide. Um, a floor on top of the stable or on top of the barn or even on top of the riding arena can easily be used for storage, right? And if you build wide, you seal off more area. If you build more high, you seal off less area. Mud, straw, thatch, they are valuable materials for construction. Very often you can get them locally and they're climate positive, which means they don't produce CO2, um, carbon dioxide during production. Uh, rather, they store carbon dioxide, right? Another thing I have recently uh, come about, not at our place, but in Germany, is actually green new roofs, right? Roofs um, planted with grass, planted with little bushes, planted with whole gardens. Um, it's crazy, really. But if you don't want to use solar energy or you can't use solar energy, you can really grow grass or moss on your roofs, which help uh create more biodiversity it reduces the heat absorption and reflections as well it will soak up excessive rainwater you know preventing um, an excess of water really rushing down the roof or down the pipe and um, yeah it can actually improve the room climate in the rooms underneath such green roofs um, they'll be greatly improved both in hot and cold climates your roof will absorb um, carbon dioxide and will exhale oxide Right, as it means it will exhale oxygen. Sorry, uh, exhale oxygen, of course. So it's really like you know, if you seal away um, areas and then you can green the roofs, at least you can give back a little bit of biomass, a little bit of green stuff um, back to the environment. Right? Um, flat roofs, for instance, can house complete gardens. Nowadays, urban gardening is you know. A big, big topic. It's very popular. A lot of people started gardening in cities, on their roofs, on the terraces. Um, however, if you want to plant a lot of stuff on your on your roof, you might want to check the static first if the roof can bear the weight of the extra plant mass and biomass. Yeah, riding arena. Build it with natural materials and avoid plastics or other artificial materials. Um, make sure your riding arenas are protected from wind, uh, which might blow away sand from water, which can take away whole truckloads of sand really during a heavy rainfall. Um, I have seen a friend's riding arena, small place, fortunately, but uh, she constructed it uh, with sand and it came a very heavy rainfall and all the sand landed in her neighbor's garden. So... Um, there should always be, just keep in mind where you have, you have places of uh, flooding, a good drainage is a must. And you should really consider all the possibilities before constructing it. What is there? Just, you know, have a look at the area where you want to construct your, your riding arena and then just make sure that you protect it from water and wind. Yeah, grains, fodder, banning, all has to be purchased and uh, fed to the horses. Here it's important um, to go and buy local. Right? This saves long distance transportation by truck and of course it supports local farmers as well. Right? So unless you really cannot get any high quality hay in your area, you should always try to really look at local um, farmers who's, who sell hay or who sell grains rather than really exporting it from like 
miles away. I know there's areas you do not get good quality hay, for instance, where you really have to import it from far, far away. But this should always only be done in real emergencies. I also try to buy food in large sacks or packs and then store it in silos or neither, any kind of uh, storage tanks in order to really reduce plastic or packing waste, right? If you buy really your grains by small plastic sacks, that's quite bad for the environment, really. It really adds up to our waste and usually people produce a high pile of waste. Uh, also, for instance, carrots or even other vegetables like beetroots, if you feed it to your horses and if you are like a big um, horse, like a, a big um, farm, like where you have lots of horses and maybe different owners, you can always um, offer to buy carrots centrally, right? In large sacks or even really like a truck uh, load full, then store it in a big storage place and everyone can actually take out um, their carriages or how, how many uh, carrots or whatever they need uh, rather than buying their own small packages and bringing them along. So that also usually reduces a little bit the cost. Yeah, looking a little bit at the meadows and other horse fields. Um, of course, horse fields is really, really important for horses. I think horses need to be out as much as possible on fields, on meadows. They need to run, they need to eat, they need to be outside. Um, it's really good for their health. <clears throat> and we can, as I mentioned already, um, horse meadows are quite good for climate and we can even make them better. Really important is to have a high biodiversity. You can have that by planting trees, right? Plant hedges along the fences wherever possible because trees and hedges will create shade, they'll create a better microclimate, they give more bi biodiversity. For instance, hedges, they are perfect. They are lovely homes to many different species of birds, insects and amphibians. And they're usually the good stuff. They're not, you know, the horse flies which bother your horses, but they actually offer insects and birds which might actually combat all these, you know, mosquitoes and horse flies. They offer them homes. So you can actually really, really in, uh, in, increase the, the quality of life and the quality of your horse fields and meadows by planting hedges. Um, hedges, don't cut them during summers. Uh, cut them in autumn or in early spring before March. As this is as summer is the time a lot of birds will nest inside and you can easily disturb them so they'll give up their nests. Um, there are, of course, depends where you are, but, you know, um, check what are good hedges, what are good uh, trees, for instance, walnut trees. I just learned that they are a wonderful um, way of keeping some of the mosquitoes away. Horses love standing under, under walnut trees because apparently there is less mosquitoes which might eat them. At least it's this uh, like this in Germany. So just, you know, get on the Internet, uh, grab yourself some resources and uh, find out which hedges, which which trees are great for your horse fields and then just plant some make sure they grow when they're small you know you have to fence them off that the horses don't eat or trample them and once they are big they'll really give you a wonderful uh, place of shade for the horses and they'll really add to your biodiversity um, try to plant different herbs and grasses on your horse fields, right? Not always the same high energy cow grass, which is actually quite bad for horses. Um, but try to find some, you know, some different grasses and herbs, which will create a higher biodiversity. And it's also good for the horses, which can choose uh, what to eat and what not. And it's interesting because we can often find them eating different herbs at different times. Just 
like us, you know, oh, now we want something sweet or now we want something salty. Um, it's quite interesting how horses really very particularly about which type of grass they want to eat at which moment. So it's always a good idea to know your plants. You don't need to be a botanist, but if you have your own horse fields, just try to gain a little bit of knowledge of the common types of grasses, herbs, plants in your area and uh, which ones are beneficial for what reason. Um, you know, go ask your local um, agricultural association. They might also have experts coming in, lectures. Sometimes you find amazing uh, online lectures nowadays on different types of grass, on different kinds of plants. It's always good if you have a little bit of knowledge. Also, of course, if you have knowledge, you can also see what poisonous plants might grow on your meadows, putting your horses at risk. Once in a while, you want to take uh, soil samples and send them to a laboratory uh, to determine what minerals or fertilizers you might need, uh, what kind of things you might add, and what you might be able to, how you might be able to improve your meadow or horse field. Um, I also know it's been quite commonplace in some areas of Germany to use fields for horses and ruminants, such as cows, for instance, or sheep um, together, not at the same time, of course, but kind of one after the next. Like, for instance, here it was often custom to have first have the cows in the field, then the horses, and then finally sheep. Um, it's, of course, something, again, not everyone has uh, the possibility of doing that, but usually... Um, Horses and cows, for instance, eat different kind of grasses and plants and they have different needs. And of course, they have different worms as well. So they eat the stuff the other species rejects, really. And it might be really a good idea to have um, to have a kind of uh, rotational grazing system in place. But again, this is something you might need to research. You might need to find out more uh, in order to, 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 to determine what is best for your meadow. Well, another thing really to increase a little bit the biodiversity of your stable is um, nowadays create nesting places for swallows. Um, swallows in Germany are having an um, increasingly more difficult life because there's just less insects. So a lot of birds actually are not finding the amount of insects they used to have um, before. Like we had years, we had hardly any insects around. Of course, plenty of horseflies still, but um, very few of the beneficial insects. And um, yeah, this made it very difficult for a lot of bird species, fortunately, with a greater knowledge and maybe a greater awareness. Um, nowadays, I see that in Germany, at least we get more hedges, that we get more, um, you know, next to the field, just a stripe of flowers, wildflowers left standing. And this has helped. I found this year was the first year I personally realized there's more insects again. And other people have also told me that they believe that this, I mean, I don't have any numbers. I don't know if there's been any, um, you know, hard facts about it, but I have the feeling we got more insects this year than we had the last couple of years. Um, so it's better for the animals and for the birds, of course, but still birds need a bit of help from us. So if you create nesting places for swallows inside the stable, for instance, keep windows, stable doors open so they can easily fly inside and outside again, uh, you know, as soon as they, they, they arrive back. Um, 
on trees outside. We can also hang nests for small birds, for singing birds. We can offer them a place where they can find water and some food as well. Um, always great because as we mentioned, insects are less nowadays. Um, yeah, and on the property also in autumn, we get lots of dead leaves and a lot of people are really annoyed by all the leaves and try to get rid of them. And of course, you have to keep the, the roads and stuff clean. But if there's lots of dead leaves, you know, um, it's great to leave them in some of the corners where they don't disturb people because uh, heaps of dead leaves and some, you know, dead wood or wood lying around uh, creates little, you know, homes and shelters for small animals such as hedgehogs, for instance, uh, who can also find a place uh, to, you know, to shelter over during the winter. Um, another thing now in Germany now at the moment, a lot of the farms are making hay. And they're cutting the grass. Usually now it's here. It's it's already summer. We're already in July. Um, so some have already done so. Some are doing it now. Um, what is always a big topic is the fawns. Now, of course, they're already a bit grown up. So now the chance is less. But if there's early cuttings of grass, uh, a lot of the small fawns are lying in the grass. And um, yeah, the mothers put them there and during the first weeks of their life, their instinct really is to dug and hide and not to run away when something approaches them. So many lose their lives in the cutters, in the mowing machines, because they don't run away. They just st stop and hide and the farmer sees them too late or not at all. And they're just killed um, because they just don't run away. Yeah, so what we can do is we can really, before the mowing, I know it's a lot of work, but we can actually walk or even ride the meadow before cutting the grass. Or nowadays, of course, we can use technology. Lots of people have drones, and here is a field that can really be put to good use. Um, you can use a drone to fly over a field to either visibly check if there's any fawns, or what's even better, use a heat detector, which can find, uh, which can very quickly find hidden fawns in the high grass. So very often there is actually kids in villages my son himself he has a drone as well and you can ask them or the farmers can ask them to to help them in checking the, the fields the meadows a lot of uh, the the kids are happy uh, to to put the drones on use and they're happy to check um, there's lots of volunteers as well um, I remember when I was younger we used to ride some of the meadows to check um, visibly but of course it's just a lot of work because, well, big fields and you really have to make sure also when you ride over them that you don't trample the poor form underneath. Yeah, so that's a lot of things actually stable owners can do to, yeah, to kind of uh, lessen your ecological footprint, to kind of do something uh, positive in the face of climate change, save energy, save water and make your place um, a place of biodiversity, make it the home of as many people, as sorry, as many animals, as many birds, as many insects as possible. And just, yeah, um, know your environment. That's always what I say, right? Know your local species of grass, of plants, and see which ones are really useful uh, and which ones are less so. But of course, a lot of you people listening, you don't might not have your own stable. There's little you can do about meadows because they belong to someone else. Um, so you just own a horse and still we can do some of the things. You know, I always say use less stuff and buy larger packages. This is one of the things I really live by. Whatever I want to buy something new, I ask myself, do I really need it? Do I have it already? Or can I use or refashion something else? Um, is this really necessary to buy? And a lot of times, actually, I say, no, it isn't. It would be really nice to have, and it's really cool, and it's really, really fun, but it's not necessary. So 
of course, sometimes I still buy it because I just find it so cool and so useful, but sometimes I really don't buy it anymore. Um, I try to buy stuff in large packages, right? Whether it's fly spray, whether it's shampoo, I usually try to buy it um, in large packages in order to save really on the plastic. And then, of course, again, the thing is, do we need all the products the horse industry tells us we need? Shampoo, yes. But do we need conditioner, coat shiner, glitter spray, uh, all this kind of hoof oil, hoof spray, whatever? Industry tells us we need it. It's great for our horses. It's a lovely product. Our horses are so much happier with it. But frankly speaking, this is very often not true. So always kind of question yourself, do you need a glitter spray for your horse? right? Or don't you need it? Or can we make things ourselves perhaps such as, you know, I've started making things such as horse shampoos, fly spray, horse biscuits. There's really lots of recipes all over the internet, uh, which you can find, dig out. And very often it's a lot cheaper. It will save you a lot of money and a lot of package waste because you can often just use old spray bottles or old packages to reef, to make your own stuff and refill it. Um, I will add some of recipes, some of the recipes I have found or some sites, I will add them in the show notes. So you can just have a look into the show notes and maybe you find some stuff uh, which you can also do it yourself. And by the way, doing it yourself is really a lot of fun as well. Another thing is what I love doing is upcycling stuff, waste basically, you know. So some ideas, I will also again put some ideas into the show notes are really like you can create lovely gift wrapping paper from feedbacks, right? You know, you know, you, you might also have these, you know, feedbacks made of this very strong paper. Very often it's actually two or three, um, you know, it's, it's not a single paper, but it's two or three sheets of paper. So you can cut them in convenient pieces and just use them as wrapping paper. You can decorate them with some glitter or with some, you know, color or whatever you want to do, but they make lovely gift wrapping papers. And if you look at how ridiculous, how ridiculously rare we use, I mean, we use this wrapping paper just once we wrap our gifts in it. Most people open them the way they all tear and then we just throw them away. So it's really wonderful if we can, you know, upcycle our feedbacks, use that paper, which we would have thrown anyway, and wrap our gifts in that side. Um, Another really great tip I use that quite often is um, if you have old nylon stockings, uh, which you might not use anymore because they have holes or, um, you know, other, you know, that you just can't use them any longer, uh, you can use them to polish your leather boots. These nylon stockings, there are just a perfect way. Um, you, of course, should oil your leather boots and then you can just polish them with a nylon stocking and they really shine like anything. So this saves you in some of these, uh, of this, you know, care stuff, which gives like shoe shine to, to your boots and you can upcycle your old nylon stockings rather than throwing them away. I upcycle a lot of stuff to build my obstacle course, old tires, old barrels, pieces of wood, whatever's lying around. I always try to integrate it into my obstacle course by making, fashioning my own jumps, fashioning like obstacles for like a trail course and so on and so on. It's really amazing how you can use this kind of trash or kind of waste, which other people can throw. Tires, they make lovely, you can use them in so many different ways to create obstacles for your horses. So that's really wonderful. Um, another 
stuff which I also another thing which I also enjoy using a lot is old horseshoes. Um, you can actually brush the rust off and of course clean them and then you can color them uh, and then you can use them in so many ways you can really make the loveliest uh, things from old horseshoes. You can use them to make door handles, you can use them to make rug holders or bridle hangers or whatever. They can be used as decorative items, you can make candle holders with them, you can make photo frames with them. It's amazing what you can do with old horseshoes and I mean you know the old saying, right? They they bring you good luck. So um, again, I added some ideas into the show notes. Um, yeah, you can use boxes, old boxes or tins to store your horse biscuits, brushes, other equipment. You can use your old pillow covers as saddle covers. You can repair tools or equipment rather than buy everything new every time. Um, yeah. If you think a little bit about what you can do or what you can upcycle or reuse, there's so many things. Um, start with yourself, you know, think of what, when, whenever you throw things away, can you reuse them? You know, can you use them rather than buying something new? Um, yeah. And then, of course, the big thing, rather than taking your car everywhere, ask yourself, why not take the bike the next time you go to the stable, right? Or maybe even invest in an e-bike which makes cycling so much easier and extends your reach a lot. You know, I have really, I bought myself an e-bike and I love it. I tr I go so much by e-bike. Every time I do like a, like a short distance drive, I'm asking myself, do I need to take the car or can I go by e-bike? So when the weather is good, when it's not raining, I always say e-bike. It's so much fun and it's not as tiring as going with a bike, with a normal bike. Um, particularly if you live in a mountainous area where you have a lot of up and down, the e-bike is wonderful. So now I have given you a couple of ideas what every one of us can do. There's of course so many other things we all can do to reduce um, our waste, to reduce our, you know, our ecological footprint, the ecological footprint of our horses. Um, if you start by consciously thinking about these things, you can very quickly find a lot of stuff in which you can improve your life. Maybe not everyone can do everything, but even if you start with small things and then continue doing them and show them to other people as well. And also, you know, influence other people, you know, um, show other people what you do and kind of inspire them to do the same or also maybe to think about what they can improve in their own life. This is a movement, right? One person, if one person changes a small thing in their own lives, it's not much. But if every one of us changes a small thing in our lives to make this world a better place, to make, you know, to save electricity, save water, um, we can all do our little bit to combat climate change and to really, you know, contribute to, um, to the cause that earth is still going to be a hospital place in not even not only now not only in the next 30 years but also in the next 300 or 500 or 1000 years so i think this is yeah this is something it's a worthy course i personally believe and i really try to you know try to um to fight my own you know lazy self sometimes and try just try to change my ways a little bit it's not much work sometimes it requires a little effort sometimes it requires you to change habits to adopt new habits but once you have done so 
it becomes a lot easier. And with the time, you get really conscious about things and you really learn and look at the world in a different way. So I think it's worthwhile and I can just invite everyone to try it out. You know, you don't need to do a lot uh, just once or twice, but rather try to do a little bit, but that regularly. Yeah, now let's finish this off with a couple of thoughts at the end. Horses, of course, eat, poop, use up space, but horses gives, a, gives us so much joy, happiness, self-reliance, comfort. You know, the time we spend with them is always good for our souls and bodies. There's so many other hobbies which are much worse for the environment and the climate rather than horses. And horses help us. They help children to grow into responsible, kind and caring adults. They help ill or mentally or physically challenge people to get better. They can be our comrades, our best friends, our partners in sports and leisure. And the human history, you know, the history of us, of humanity, you know, would be a lot different if it hadn't been for horses. So horses are so much more than just big animals we keep for, you know, sports and leisure. They are just, they give, they help us and they make our lives better in so many different ways. So I don't want to, so I want to finish here with saying this podcast was not meant to convince anyone not to keep horses. You know, horses are just wonderful animals and they're wonderful companions and they make wonderful pets, right? I want to encourage people to have horses, but I also want to encourage people to maybe think about the way they keep horses and to, yeah, just trying to improve their horsemanship, their horse keeping uh, in a more ecological way, perhaps. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for being here today. If you like the show, please do give us a favor and hit the subscribe button so that you'll never miss any new episode in future. Also make sure to visit our website where you can find interesting articles about horse riding adventures. The latest news about what is happening in the equestrian adventures is Cosmos. And of course, the show notes for today's episode and all the other episodes. Find out more about our new horseback travel guidebook, The Ultimate Equestrian Adventuress's Bucket List Book, now available as free download from our website or as paperback version from Amazon. Find out more about the Equestrian Adventuress's 100 Miles Challenge and how you can join in. And of course, discover our books and courses which will help you to achieve your own personal adventure with horses. So long everyone and happy trails! <laughs>